Hey guys, how's it going? Great. I guess I don't know. You know, assuming that you said something in the affirmative there, I don't. Yeah, so. uh, I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, the Scott Horton Show. I hate the state. I'm here to try to get you to hate it too. Of course, um, I'm focused on the worst parts of what the state does: the foreign policy. So, there's that. Oh, I wish I'd read this James Carden this morning. Um, in case you were interested, uh, consortiumnews.com is fixed. Uh, Robert Perry and Ray McGovern and a lot of uh, great writers are over there at consortiumnews.com, and they got attacked by somebody, uh, Ukrainians or Israelis, I'd assume, but I don't know. Now, they got attacked pretty bad, but their site is back up. And uh, here's James Carden with a piece. Uh, sleepwalking toward catastrophe about the new Cold War with Russia. So definitely be taking a look at that later. Anyway, um, I wouldn't have invited him on the show uh, today anyway because at least I thought I had my three guests. But oops, no, one of them didn't work out, so we got two. Um, Dan Cohen will be on the show tomorrow to talk about what's going on in Israeli politics. They're trying to kick all the Arabs out of the Knesset. Well, it's the only democracy in the Middle East, as long as you don't count any of the Palestinians that are ruled by the very same government. See how easy that is? It's a democracy where half the people aren't allowed to vote. Because they're black. I mean, because they're Arabs. Same exact Jim Crow racist crap. Um, so, anyway, um, and now even the Palestinian-Israeli citizens... The Palestinian citizens of Israel, um, who have their, you know, few little members of the Knesset, the rest of the Knesset is now trying to pass a law that will allow them to kick the Arabs out. So they'll have no representation, whether occupied or living in so-called Israel proper, they'll have no representation in the Knesset at all. Which is really good for that international public relations campaign about how Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. It's just that they don't protect individual rights. They don't protect minority rights. They don't believe in property rights. Their economy is a socialist, eastern, oriental type system as opposed to a western capitalist system. And, yeah, actually, um, just like as Monda Weiss was reporting last week, um, was it only 34% of... American Jewish students uh, who you have to assume were at least somewhat raised on supporting Israel uh, refused to call it a Western civilized country because, of course, it's not. And most of the population there, they're not from the West. They're from the East. They're not Lockeans. Not that the Americans are either, but at least sort of, kind of. As uh, Rabbi Kane or Kahane or Kahani or however the hell you're supposed to say it explained to Mike Wallace back years ago, and of course, you know, he had a marginal opinion back then, but no longer. He said, look, Mike Wallace, I'm not Thomas Jefferson, and I don't believe in all that stuff about individual rights. It's my tribe versus their tribe, and they can all die. They don't have rights because they are my enemy. He's talking about the men, women, and children of Palestine. The men, women, and children 
of Palestine. And that was what he said. I don't believe in individual rights. That's stupid. That's for Americans. That's not for Israel. We don't believe in that. Made it very plain. And uh, that's that's their policy. That's how their societies run. And getting worse all the time. It's just insane, really. Uh, any other country in the world acting the way Israel acts, um, occupying, you know, invading and occupying and moving, transferring their civilian population into other people's territories, etc. America would start a war against them. America would say, you know, that it created the U.N., and passed all the international laws after um, after its creation, uh, which banned that very thing because it meant it. Hitler discredited the policy of invading your neighboring state and expanding your borders onto his indefinitely, perpetually, with the Nazi bloodletting machine that he created. So I'm not saying there's anything, you know, sanctified or sanctimonious or sancta anything about these international borders. Uh, just that the policy is, the the consensus around the world is, if these borders are going to change, they should change by negotiation rather than aggressive war and occupation and transfer of civilians. If it was any other country, America would be doing everything they could to stop it. But no other country has Israel's influence in Washington, D.C., so there's that. In fact, uh, go read Dan McAdams about uh, Netanyahu at the last minute in the newspaper, in Haaretz, canceling a meeting with Barack Obama while Biden's in the air on the way over there to promise $4.5 billion, a billion and a half dollar raise in military aid from the U.S. to Israel this year. And then Netanyahu punks the president, punks the vice president again. Uh, doesn't even call the White House, puts it in the newspaper that he's canceling his meeting. It is absolutely a miracle that tape does not exist of Netanyahu calling Obama boy. He must have a little, you know, shocker in his pocket every time he means to say something overtly racist to our president. He, oh, whoops, don't, don't quite do that. But, uh, boy, the level of contempt shown by Israel to the USA, all of us, in the way they support their prime minister's treatment of our president, his benefactor the most pro-Israel president ever. You know, in terms of doing absolutely nothing to get the Israelis out of the West Bank, in terms of expanding the inspections and securing the civilian nature of Iran's nuclear program for the next generation, in terms of all the missile defense systems, and did I say all the money, all the cluster bombs that they use to tear little children's lives apart, when Netanyahu goes on his, you know, occasional excursions to the Gaza Strip, go slaughter people to death for fun and polling points. Um, 
and then Netanyahu just treats him like a damn dog. I personally kind of enjoy it. Um, you know, just cause, hey, why suffer pretense? Let's just go ahead and be honest about uh, who's zooming who around here. Don't you think? Yeah, me too. All right. Well, anyway. All that just to say that, uh, yeah, guess what? Daniel Cohen's not going to be on the show today. <laughs> um, that's all right, though, because Michael Clare is. I mentioned to you yesterday, he's a liberal, uh, but I couldn't find any bad economics in his article uh, whatsoever. It's all about the price of oil and what it means for the politics of the planet Earth. Ran at Tom Dispatch yesterday at antiwar.com today. Michael Claire back on the show. Talk about the global price of oil. And then Robert Epstein. I told you about this guy. He's a social scientist who wrote this article, The New Mind Control. The Internet has spawned subtle forms of influence that can flip elections and manipulate everything we say, think, and do. Yikes. Um, all right, that's coming up. That's at aeon.co, the new mind control. Uh, back with bad news right after this. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show, you can get your first audio book for free. Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. So I thought it was cool, man. I mean, it's just a little thing. It, it's actually ridiculous the way, you know, it was explained in the media, the way it was covered in the media. But uh, it was... Was it 70-30 or 80-20? I think it was 80-20. Uh, 80% to 20% of Michigan Muslims came out last night to vote for the Jewish guy. They came out to vote for Bernie Sanders. Now, this was reported as, oh my God! But, and of course, they don't really finish the sentence. They talk about how surprising it is because the rest of their sentence is, yeah, but the Israel lobby said that all Muslims want to hate and kill all Jews for no reason all day. And they had me believing that nonsense. So how could it possibly be true that the Muslims of Michigan, by far, prefer the Jewish guy to the whatever pretend to Protestant you know religion that uh, Hillary pretends to believe in. She obviously only believes in herself. Um, but uh, it's pretty obvious what's going on here, right? 
Um, Bernie Sanders is horrible on foreign policy. He's horrible on Israel-Palestine. He's horrible on, uh, you know, the Libya war and Syria and all kinds of things. Ukraine even. But Hillary Clinton is Hillary Clinton. She might as well be Liz Cheney or Marco Rubio up there. So for anyone who cares about the wars at all, Sanders is less worse than her. You won't catch me slipping and saying he's better. But is he less worse than Hillary Clinton? The blood-soaked monster? Uh, yeah, by a lot. He's less worse by a hell of a lot. And so, you know, and, and you know, as I've said, as I just said and as I'll say again, Sanders is no good on foreign policy. You might think he would be because usually somebody who's that much of a socialist is pretty anti-empire. But no, he's all for the empire. Always has been. He's for NATO expansion. He's for the F-35 as long as, you know, he can bring the pork home to his home state for the the grossest, most ridiculous project since the H-bomb, which at least those things work when you try to set them off, although that's not a good thing, but... Trillions, literally a trillion and a half, two trillion dollars put into a fighter plane that everyone knows does not and will never work. That is a complete piece of crap that probably 1990s model Russian MiG fighters can destroy without a problem. Because they weren't made to perform. They were made to be very expensive and to transfer your money to the stockholders and the executive vice presidents and CEOs and COOs of Lockheed Inc. and their subcontractors. I guess is still Lockheed Martin. They still call it Martin, or they dropped the Martin. Doesn't matter. Uh, what well, used to be there was Martin and there was Marietta, and then Martin Marietta merged, and then Lockheed merged with Martin Marietta, and you see how it goes. But anyway. Uh, Sanders is horrible on foreign policy. He really is. I mean, you would expect him to be pretty good, but no, he's actually not pretty good. But Hillary is the worst. Hillary is as bad as Robert Kagan or Bill Kristol or John Hanna or Abram Shulsky or any war criminal who ever worked for Dick Cheney. That's how bad she is. In fact, I would urge you to read Medea Benjamin from Code Pink and her piece on antiwar.com today. It's the best thing she's ever written. I mean, it's really good about Hillary Clinton and how absolutely dishonestly horrible she is. She is just the worst. And Medea Benjamin has her number. Medea Benjamin met with Hillary Clinton weeks before the Iraq war began and said, we just got back from Iraq. And we met with the weapons inspectors, and they say they can't find anything. Okay? And they don't believe that there's anything. They know where to look. And Hillary says exactly the exact words of George W. Bush. We know what disarmament looks like. He hasn't done it, therefore he still has them. Question begged. Premise assumed. Aggressive war launched. And she wasn't just some senator. She was the wife of the former president. Which means she could have stopped that war. She could have said, I'm sorry. 
but I'm the wife of the former president, and she could have spun it in a Bill Clinton way. He destroyed the last of the weapons of mass destruction back in 1998 during Operation Desert Fox, which he named after Rommel, the Nazi. Oh, sorry. People always correct me on this. The loyal servant of the Nazis. Oh, I'm so sorry. He wasn't a Nazi party guy, Scott. He was just in the German army and murdered people for Hitler. Yeah, oh, okay. Other than that, though, he was great. No wonder Bill Clinton named a war after him. But anyway, she could have spun it like that. Look, they barely had anything left back then. All this talk about warehouses full of sarin, mustard, anthrax, and VX, germ weapons and all this, this is nonsense. And I know this because I'm sorry, but I'm on the Armed Services Committee. I got access to the best intelligence, and I'm the wife of the former, the last president. And I know top secret stuff about this, and it ain't true. And in fact, I also know that Ahmed Chalabi and his merry band of uh, exiles are a bunch of fabricators and liars because the CIA told me so. We must stop this war. She could have done that, and she could have stopped it. I mean, it would have been, that's that would have been as huge as Colin Powell resigning and saying, I refuse to go along with this, which, of course, he did not do but would have been a game-changer. Game-changer level could have stopped a war-level power and influence. That's how. That's what spot she was in in 2002 and three. And instead she climbed on the bandwagon. Why? For herself. Not for the good of the poor little people of Iraq, who she only wanted to help so much. She thought it would be good politics. Bill Clinton, her husband, opposed George Bush's father's war in Iraq in 1991, and it was such a wonderful war, Operation Yellow Ribbon, and everybody loved it so much. And Bill, as well as John Kerry and Joe Biden, had trouble living down the fact that they had opposed that bill, that they had opposed that resolution. And so this time they weren't going to make that same political mistake. And so they climbed on board and voted for it. That was why she supported the Iraq War for herself. For her own narrow, selfish ambition. I mean, jeez, not like anybody should have to be told that, but give me a break. But anyway, um, I guess a couple points here just to wrap up the segment. Sanders beat her in Michigan last night. Uh, proving not how strong he is, but how weak she is. And believe me, man, I'm telling you now. When Donald Trump, if she gets the nomination, when Donald Trump attacks her from the left on Iraq, Yemen, Libya, and Syria, he's going to nuke her right out of the water. So you Bernie types need to go ahead and get the work done first. You hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. 
Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Okay, sorry. Sometimes I get high and I get off on a tangent. All I was saying was, of course, the Muslims of Michigan prefer Sanders to Hillary because she's more for killing Arabs than he is, even though he's pretty bad on it. She's much worse. Everybody knows that. She's freaking Dick Cheney, dude. She is horrible on everything. Even the Syria war that didn't happen in 2013, when she was out of power, she came out in favor of it. There was the Israel lobby and Hillary Clinton were the only people in our entire society who supported attacking Assad over the fake Turkish Al-Qaeda false flag chemical weapons attack in Gouda in uh, the suburbs of of Damascus in uh, August of 2013. And by the way, if you uh, type in my name in Korea and watch my speech that I gave at, um, in, uh, not San Saba, where the hell was that again? Oh my God. You know that town in West Texas? Anyway, I keep thinking Sam Sa- San Saba is the only thing I can think of, even though that's totally not right. Anyway, I gave a speech about Korea uh, before. It was in the spring of 2013, and at the very end, and the reason it's so long and I went on and on is because it kind of changed the topic of the speech on me. So I had already prepared Iran and Korea, and then they wanted me to talk about the terror wars. So I said, well, let's do all that during questions and answers, you know. So we did the whole Arab Spring and the terror war and all this stuff during questions and answers. And on the Syria part, there's even, uh, and this was in, I guess, April of 2000. And 13, you can hear me reference, recently there have been some chemical attacks that Israel tried to blame on Assad, and John Kerry came out and contradicted them, but the way that he said it was more along the lines of, wait, we're not ready to do that yet. So be on the lookout for more of this is coming. And then it was just six weeks later or something, and there was a false flag chemical attack uh, orchestrated by Turkey and the Al-Nusra Front uh, that they tried to uh, pin on Assad. Anyway, so Hillary was for that. Hillary and the Israel lobby. Uh, of course, uh, she's responsible for the war in Yemen. Uh, she's responsible for the war in Libya and the half-assed regime change in Syria that led to the rise of the Islamic State. And, you know, Trump, again, Trump has already proved that he's perfectly happy to talk about that. He's said before... Obama and Hillary Clinton created the Islamic State. And that just shows he's got that punch cocked and ready to throw. And he's not going to pull it. And he's right. And the media people are all going to go, wait, wait, let's fact check, let's fact check. And they're going to say, well, yeah, you know, if Assad controlled all of Syria, then ISIS wouldn't control any of it. And America has been trying to overthrow and destroy the state military and government of Syria leading to the rebirth of al-Qaeda in Iraq and eventually their breaking off and creation of the Islamic State it's right there in the DIA document when she was still there August 2012 DIA said look man we're risking the rise of an Islamic State here which is what all our allies want but which could be very dangerous and could blow back into Iraq and and conquer western Iraq as well 
It's right there in the DIA document. That's all Donald Trump has to say. It's right there in the DIA document. I urge everyone watching this debate tonight to just type in DIA Islamic State. Fact check that. How's she going to overcome that? It's true. She's guilty of high treason by the letter of the law, providing aid and comfort to Al-Qaeda, which, you know, the Islamic State just broke off from there. They still claim Osama, if not Zawahiri. And, you know, she knew it, too. She Here she is pleading guilty to the damn uh, conspiracy in her own freaking words, man. We know Al-Qaeda, Zawahiri, is supporting the opposition in Syria. Are we supporting Al-Qaeda in Syria? Hamas is now supporting the opposition. Are we supporting Hamas in Syria? So I think, Wyatt, you know, despite the great pleas that we hear from those people who are being ruthlessly assaulted by Assad, if you're a military planner or if you're a secretary of state and you're trying to figure out, do you have the elements of an opposition that is actually viable? We don't see that. Right. All we see is the al-Nusra front, loyal to Ayman al-Zawahiri, the butcher of New York City. And then as soon as she left office, what, 11 months after she gave that interview, um, when Obama, you know, started his second term, she put it in the New York Times that I tried to get Obama to support the terrorists even more, but he wouldn't. That was her attack on Obama. That he was only guilty of medium-sized treason, and she wanted it high. High as could possibly be. Anyway, it's amazing that she thinks... It's amazing that there's such groupthink... That, uh, San Angelo, yes, of course, thank you, Bill. I'm so sorry, San Angelo guys. I love you guys, man. I'm such an idiot. I've been to San Angelo ten times or something. How could I not think of that? Christ's sake. Well, it's just Saba was stuck in my brain. I couldn't get around it. San Saba. Which I saw in the weather report this morning. San Saba, they mentioned that. Well, I'm just made of organic material, you know? Uh, yeah. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Bill, the, my friend, the Californian in my email helping me out with Texas towns where I've lived my entire life. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Oh, but so anyway, the other thing I wanted to talk about is Rubio, who is toast and who's going to lose Florida if he doesn't drop out first. And, um, and, uh, boy, did he just get smashed last night. I think he got two delegates out of Hawaii. Um, and you know what I was thinking? I'm just kicking myself. I hope some of you guys, at least, have been placing bets on the election markets based on my awesome advice. Except I was wrong about Jeb. I admit that. Although you have to admit that if it hadn't been for Trump, it would have been Jeb. Uh, but Trump was the black swan that turned the whole damn thing upside down. But as far as anything else that they ever said, well, and I've been right about Jeb for quite a while now. So anyway, um, but uh you know, when they were saying Rubio ascendant and all the people in the media and all the neoconservatives and all the Republican Party establishment guys saying, yeah, Rubio, Rubio, Rubio. And they believe that they have the influence to foist Rubio on the American people. And I told you, yeah, right. Man, I wish I'd bet every cent I had right then on 
you know, against any idiot smart enough to believe, I mean, stupid enough to believe that Rubio, in the words of Chris Saliza over at the Washington Post, is ascendant. Really. Marco Rubio. The George W. Bush of this campaign, not even Jeb. The W. Bush of this campaign. Who can't go two or three feet beyond his written talking points on any issue. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. And who just frankly is too young. And who has, you know, a baby face. And just, he can't be the leader, dude. And his name ends in a vowel, which means to conservative American, Protestant, at least soft bigots, he's probably Catholic, right? So, yeah, forget that. Hispanic and Catholic. And the worst warmonger, you know, this side of Lindsey Graham. And too young. And, did I say the talking points thing again? The talking points thing again? Yeah, Rubio ascendant. Because Bill Crystal said so? Uh-huh. Anyway, so that ain't happening, but there's a new piece in Politico today. said, well, the Republicans are getting behind Cruz then. As much as they hate Cruz. You know, um, I guess I was wrong last night. I was, I was telling Jeff Tucker on the Future Freedom Show last night that they hate Cruz more than they fear Trump. But maybe that isn't correct. So, um, you know, I don't know. Anyway, enough politics. Wars, man. I got lots of wars to talk about and police state stuff and uh, interviews coming up on the show. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code SCOTT and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Okay, man, welcome back. Uh, yeah. It's the Scott Horton Show. Coming up, Michael Clare on the global price of oil and what it means to Saudi and IS and Iran and Russia and Texas and the world empire and everything else. Michael Clare uh, coming up. Uh, and then Robert Epstein on how Google owns your entire ass. Sorry. But uh, search engine results, the ordering of search engine results have a far more profound influence over your mind, your beliefs, your choices than you could probably imagine. According to senior research psychologist, Dr. Robert Epstein, coming up on the show. So um, really interesting article, man. I think you guys are going to dig it. Um, and then I'm still trying to work out um, getting uh, – what is his name? I'm going to get it wrong here. Let me page down. Um, it's about that <clears throat> Sarah Lazare article 
about the uh, FBI police state they're creating in the high schools here. Tasking your kid's reading teacher with keeping tabs on her politics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then where's the quote from the guy? Oh, here. Arun Kundnani. Arun Kundnani. He was, uh, he's a professor at New York University. And, uh, I'm trying to get him on the show to talk about this. Maybe I'll just get Sarah Lazare. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I definitely want to talk about that. Very important story. And then, um, oh, and I'm still working to, I kind of dropped the ball on this one. I need to get back to this. A guy named Nasser Arabi, Arabayi, Arabayi, I guess. And he wrote this thing. It's for the Carnegie Endowment, but I guess I've interviewed people from there before who were okay. Um, it's Nasser Arabi, whatever. Saudi Arabia's campaign in Yemen has boosted popular support for the Houthis. And is fueling greater anti-Saudi sentiment. In other words, backdraft. It's blowing up right in America and Saudi's face. This brutal, aggressive war we've been waging for the past year there. And it's a really great piece. I really want to get the guy on to talk about it. No one gives a damn about Yemen. And why? Politics, right? Liberals don't care when Obama kills people because they're busy looking the other way. Obama murdering innocent people, but I like him, so I'll prefer to not pay much attention to that, thank you. Cry 150 million Americans. You know, the ones who are somewhere to the left of center. Mass murder? Well, that's not a problem when Democrats are in the White House. They all agree unanimously. Not that they agree on the enemies being killed. They just agree to not pay any attention whatsoever. I mean, what are they going to do? Justify the war in Yemen? Yeah, right. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. And the conservatives, well, they love drinking the blood of innocents all damn day long. There's nothing that they like more than news of an unnecessary war against the men, women, and children of Yemen... Kill them all. The hotter the fire, the faster they burn to death. Hooray! Cry the 150 million conservatives on the right in America. Everybody leans slightly right. Mass murder, yay! Oh, wait, though, we don't want to give the credit to Barack Obama. The credit, see, they call it. Not the blame. The credit. Come on, guys, we have a narrative here. Obama has destroyed the military. He's such a hippie commie peacenik. He hasn't used the military to kill a single person. He hasn't built a single tank or airplane in eight years. Oh, our poor little pathetic victim military. We must rebuild it so that, you know, maybe someday we can have a war in Yemen. And hooray, Barack Obama's slaughtering men, women, and children in Yemen doesn't really fit very well with that narrative. So again, they just ignore it. They're secretly happy whenever they hear, oh, Obama's slaughtering children? Great. Hooray, cry all 150 million Americans quietly. Sado voce or voce, whatever. But shh, shh, don't give him credit, though. Don't say anything nice about the Democrats murdering tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of innocent people. 
because, you know, we don't like Democrats. Got to get the GOP back in there, baby. And so that's it. And so that's and the entire news media. I mean, they all count as the liberals, right? They don't want to say anything bad about Obama and they can't describe the war in Yemen without it sounding like he is a war criminal who deserves to be buried under the supermax in Florence, Colorado with Dick Cheney. And so they just ignore it. Well, gee, there's a horse race going on, don't you know? And since no one is making a political issue out of it, it's not a human issue at all. It's sick, man. Thousands of kill. I mean, the estimates, the UN estimates are five, six thousand something. That can't be right. It's got to be worse than that. All the human rights organizations say there's a greater demand for food and medical assistance in Yemen than anywhere on the planet right now. It's the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet. A country that was already the poorest country in the Arab world before we started bombing it. Raising it to the ground. All to mollify the new Saudi princeling in charge of their military. Who said, oh, you've just extra double super lucky happy wish guaranteed that Iran's nuclear program will stay civilian for the next generation well we're upset about that and you have to make it up to us right just like all the billions for Israel launch a war in Yemen and a war that's not working at all a war that's killing people and failing entirely to accomplish the stated goals. Now, if the real goals are simply getting rid of Lockheed products. Hey, man, I sold a bunch today. All right, Jim, you get a bonus. Yeah, I'm not sure what the Saudis are going to use them for, but I don't care about that. Oh, Yemen. Yeah, we should lobby against the Houthis. I heard the Houthis are backed by Iran and they're really bad. Won't provide any evidence because there's not any, but still. Uh, but otherwise, if you want to go by the stated goals of the war in Yemen, complete failure. Hadi is no more the dictator now than he was six months ago. All right, so um, here's this other thing, man. Please read it. I'm asking you nicely. It's called Probable Cause. It's in the Washington Post. Pursuing drugs and guns... On scant evidence, D.C. police sometimes raid wrong homes, terrifying the innocent. You really got to read this thing. And do you see right there, liberals and conservatives, sorry I just called you all blood-soaked terrorists and whatever, but do you see here, pursuing guns and drugs, all you liberals, your war on guns leads to this. All you conservatives, your war on drugs, it leads to this. Warrantless Mass searches of innocent people, almost entirely poor and black. I hope you're all very proud of yourselves. Well, but gee, Scott Horton, when I'm using my imagination about what the results of my little, you know, by way of government social 
um, engineering experiment is supposed to go, it doesn't have a totalitarian police state. It's supposed to be great. Everyone's going to stop using drugs and they'll stop owning guns. Because I daydreamed that. Cry all 300 million American liberals and conservatives. Look at what you've done. You destroyed the Bill of Rights with your stupid beliefs. With your stupid, wrong, illegitimate beliefs. Oh, I think government is going to make society better for me. Yeah, no, it's not. You, using the government, that's what's ruining society. Stupid. Gun control is worse than a society full of guns. See? And drug control is worse than a society full of drugs. And if you don't agree with that, it's because you are stupid and wrong and or probably illiterate. This article's at the Washington Post. It's called Probable Cause. I dare you to read it all the way through. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, I'm Scott. Welcome back to the show. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Oops, I didn't mean to click that. All right. Uh, I promised a couple of interviews. First up is Michael T. Clare, professor of peace and world security studies at Hampshire College. The author most recently of The Race for What's Left. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, Michael? Just fine. Uh, very happy to have you here. A very interesting article running at uh, our friend Tom Englehart's site, TomDispatch.com, and we're also running it at Antiwar.com, I think today. Yeah. Um, today on Antiwar.com, we're running it. Energy Wars of Attrition, the Irony of Oil Abundance. And I was telling the audience earlier that I at least believe that you are uh, some version of liberal or progressive or leftist i'm not exactly sure but and and i'm a libertarian and yet i did not find any flaws in your economic uh thinking here anywhere in the article i think it's perfectly acceptable for um austrian school types too <laughs> um so and and you know this is an anti-war show so i interview people of all different um uh, persuasions all the time as as long as uh, the point is getting at the truth here and I think you do a real great job of doing that so well um, thank you and that's admirable of you too well first things first right okay so uh, let's start with the conspiracy theory okay because I got one and I think I even have some evidence for it there was a meeting I think in 2013 or was it 14 where John Kerry went to Saudi Arabia and apparently told the press afterwards that, yeah, we're going to deliberately drop the price of oil 
uh, it was already declining, I think. But he says, uh, you know, yeah, basically we're doing this to get at Iran and Russia. Or maybe they asked him and he said, yeah, well, you know, kind of, you know, an answer. Um, but enough that seemed like kind of confirmation that that uh, that was the plan that the Saudis had decided that, you know, Russia and Iran and I don't know if the Islamic State played into it at all, but at least Russia and Iran needed to pay. And they're both oil exporters, highly dependent on. Um, well, and for that matter, the Saudis uh, are enemies of the Baghdad government as well. Uh, they're all uh, three of those highly dependent on oil revenues. And this is a great way to screw them. Uh, but then in your article, you go, well, yeah, you know, there's actually a lot more to it than that. So can you please clarify for us? Sure, sure, sure. I, I mean, many people believe that that is the motive this, for Saudis not curbing, you know, cutting back their production, which would have boosted the price of oil. Instead, they increase their production. And we're talking now, this is in the months of uh, August, September, October, November 2014. The, the price of oil reached a peak in June 2014, $115 a barrel, and then started declining slowly and then faster and faster. So we're talking about the period right after that. And the Saudis, instead of cutting back their production, which would raise prices, increase their prices. So yes, one possible interpretation would be that they're going after Iran and Saudi Arabia, and, and I'm sorry, Iran and Russia, and many people thought that. But the the Saudis say differently, and and I believe them. They say that what they were trying to do was to protect their market share at a time when new producers were coming onto the market. Iran was one of them, but much more important in their eyes was shale production in the United States and Canadian tar sands and Brazilian offshore oil because that was really changing the dynamics of the oil market from something centered in the Middle East in the OPEC countries to non-OPEC oil, Western Hemisphere oil, and threatening the dominance of Saudi Arabia in the market. And I think they saw that as a much bigger threat than you know concern about Russia and Iran's uh, meddling in, in Syria. Mm. All right, now, uh, that's very interesting, and it happens to coincide with something that, and I think you and I have discussed this before on the show, um, but uh, I first learned this from Greg Palast probably back a dozen years ago or more, that this is what the Saudis do. Of course, they want to charge the highest price per barrel as they possibly can, but every once in a while, they like to dump the price down through the floor to bankrupt all their competition because the Saudis got that sweet, light crude. It's so inexpensive to get out of the ground, and compared to them, whether it's the Canadians, the Texans, uh, the Venezuelans, or anybody else, it's it's um, only profitable for them to refine their oil at a certain floor. I think he said it's forty bucks a, a barrel for Venezuela. This would have been, you know, ten years ago dollars. It's forty bucks a barrel for Venezuela to be even the slightest bit profitable. It's a lot higher than that if you're talking about Colorado, Dakota, Alberta. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for those places today. Alberta, $80 a barrel. In the shale fields of the U.S., $50, $60 a barrel. Venezuela, I, I don't know, but th their economy is going through the floor right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Nigeria is having a hard time. So the, the losers in this case, in the low oil price situation you have today, the losers 
from a U.S. geopolitical point of view, include not just the people that we don't like, like Russia and Iran and Venezuela, but it also includes people who are our allies, like Canada and Nigeria and uh, And uh, Azerbaijan (laughs) and Texas. Yes, Texas. Well, and you know, I, it really raises the question, doesn't it, of the political power of Houston. Can these guys not topple the regime in D.C. with a flick of their finger or what? How are they letting this happen? <laughs> well, they're running candidates who they hope will take over the government and then do things to turn this around. I mean, they're going to pour more money into this campaign than anybody else. Uh, any other single uh, source of campaign financing, and they hope to elect a Republican who is 100% fossil fuel oriented. Hmm. I mean, and they, they, they already run advertising. When I watch CNN to follow the returns on the primaries, every other advertisement is from the oil and gas industry saying, you know, boost, let's boost our fossil fuel production. So they're out there, and there'll be much more of this before we get to the final vote. Well, now, but so what are the Republicans exactly supposed to do about this anyway? I mean, obviously they can decrease regulations if that'll help bring down the price of fracking by a small percent or something like that. Well, I think I think they I, I think their hope is, among other things, is to increase U.S. exports of oil. Uh they they're pushing very hard not not only oil but natural gas to build more LNG facilities liquefied natural gas facilities to export natural gas and also to facilitate the export of oil from the United States even though we're a net oil importer today they want to allow US companies to export oil so to take advantage of price differentials in the market you know, in Asia, oil is more more expensive. So they 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 want to ignore the good interests of the American people, the American consumer, in order to raise the profits for the oil companies by allowing them to export more to foreign markets. Mm. Which, you know, I mean, all things being equal, that should be fine. There shouldn't be laws preventing them from exporting whatever resources they have. I mean, assuming that they're private companies who invested in extracting the materials, uh, you know, the the resources themselves, that doesn't really seem like a problem so much, right? Selling, I mean, I see what you're saying. There is is a problem. The problem is that um, the export facilities don't exist. Uh, So the taxpayers got to come up with them, right? Yeah, the taxpayers Mm have to facilitate the infrastructure construction to do all of this. Yeah, I read you loud and clear on that. Yeah, and what we're talking about here is eminent domain, and I I know this is probably in your world a hotly debated topic. Oh, no, we are one million percent against all eminent domain, even for freeways, us libertarians. There ain't no no debate about it. So there you have it. To build, to export all this, the the new oil fields and the new gas fields are in the middle of the USA. They're in North Dakota and Pennsylvania and West Virginia um, and in Colorado, and the ports to export them are on the Atlantic coast nice. or the Pacific coast. So, in other words, expect a lot of corporate welfare for Houston out of Washington, D.C., if it's Cruiser Trump. Now, I'm sorry, hold it right there. We'll be right back. It's Michael Clare writing at Tom Dispatch and Antiwar.com about the oil wars. Hey, Al Scott here. 
The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers from Plato and St. Benedict to John Locke, Hayek, and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceroneanSociety.com. Hey, all Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pignati, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all, QR Silver Commodity Discs, the first ever QR code one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to the Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at commoditydiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at slash commoditydiscs. And thanks. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. I am talking with Professor Michael T. Clare, expert on global energy resources and policies and politics and everything. And uh, he writes fairly regularly for TomDispatch.com. Always really great stuff. And um, now, Michael, one of the things you talk about in here... Um, oh, I wanted to say, first of all, um, David Stockman is basically my favorite new libertarian. I think he's fairly new to Austrian school economics, or at least he's... I think he's a fairly new convert to, you know, hardcore libertarianism, whereas before he was maybe softer. He was a former uh, budget director in the Reagan years, but he's just, man, he writes the best anti-war stuff. I mean, he's just great. And one of the things that he's always saying about oil and about American intervention in the Middle East is that the cure for high oil prices is high oil prices. Come on, guys. This is not even 101. This is you got to know this to even get in the door to economics 101 that when the prices go up, that's more incentive for people to, um, uh, you know, explore, find further resources or, as we talked about before, makes more difficult to uh, get oil profitable and so therefore, you know, available to the marketplace and, and this kind of thing. And that'll drive your prices right back down again. That's just how it works. So we don't need to intervene over there for fear of prices going up or where if prices go up, the problem will correct itself basically, you know, in no time. And he often and you can say whatever you want about that. But the real point I wanted to get to was he says the OPEC is a joke. Because I guess maybe in their plan, they went too long with prices too high. And now there's just so much new uh, supply on the world market. And I forgot what percent you say in here, but you talk about what percent of the market is actually controlled by Saudi and OPEC. And it's it's such a small percent now that they really can't set prices. And at this point, I think you quote the Saudi guy saying, or you talk about how if the Saudis did raise their prices, all it would do would be to cut them out. Or if they cut production, it would barely raise the global price, but it would mean that much less oil being sold by them. And, and in the arithmetic of it, they would definitely be losing out on the profits. So they've played their game this long, but maybe now the game is up. That was what I said. All that was to ask you if, if you think that may be right. <laughs> okay, well, there's a lot in there, so let me try to untangle it. I, I, I mean, I, I believe, I believe, basically, that we're in a new world of oil, and that this is a, a, a paradigm shift, and it's it's going to be 
permanent. And previously, we were in a world where scarcity was the dominant paradigm, where the demand for oil kept rising with 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 China's rise, the demand for oil kept going up, 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 and that that was an incentive for the oil companies to go out, like you say, and explore for more oil and produce more oil, because with all this demand increasing over more and more and more, the price kept rising, so there was this incentive to explore, uh, but it was kind of perception of scarcity, future scarcity driving all of this. But now we're in a new world. There is no oil scarcity, and it doesn't look like we'll ever have oil scarcity again in the future. What what the problem now is we have demand scarcity. The growth in China seems to have come to a halt, and there is no China number two. There's There's no country out there. There's no place in the world, Europe, India, the United States, Japan, there's nobody to replace China as the engine of world oil demand growth. And I don't think that's going to change as far as we could see into the future. But the oil companies with fracking can now produce more indefinitely, more and more oil. So in a world where you have demand scarcity, uh, prices can never go high. Uh, so, so the old economics were driven by 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 supply scarcity, but in this new world, uh, I, I don't see that happening again. And now, and you're taking into account, of course, what we already talked about—that the Alberta tar sands, for example, are not profitable at these prices. So, some of these new uh, uh, sources that have been found are going to go right back offline. But you're saying doesn't matter. There's so much downward pressure on the price of oil that, uh, it, you know, they're never going to go back to the way it was, say, 10 years ago. There's still way more production than that, even at these prices. That's that's my impression. I mean, what, what would have to change to alter this equation is that uh, China, China go back to 10% per year growth, and nobody sees that on the horizon. Europe, no, Europe is just not a possible because they, they're cutting back on their oil usage. And maybe India becoming another China, but that that's 25 years into the future. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't see where the demand is going to come from to justify these multi-multi-billion dollar investments in expensive high-price oil like Canadian tar sands. Yeah. Well... You know, to the degree it's not already too late, everybody listen well and place your bets uh, on the market. Uh, it, it sure is amazing to see, you know, 2016 ghost towns there in in North Dakota or South Dakota, right adjacent there. I saw, you know, where they basically had built a town and now it's gone, like the old mining yep. towns of the 19th century. Yep. Now, you know there'll be there'll be periods that the price of oil will go back over fifty dollars a barrel. I think that's likely to happen. And at fifty dollars a barrel, the shale producers in North Dakota can make a buck. And so they'll they'll go back into operation at that point. But it's not going to be the the glitzy golden days of hundred dollar barrel oil. You know yeah. they'll be scraping by, pinching pennies, and. They'll be able to operate, but but not in Canada, and not in offshore Brazil, and not in the North Sea. The North Sea is going down the tubes, and and Arctic oil. I 
finished. So, in other words, I th- I think, or would you agree that the the price as high as it was that didn't really reflect how scarce it was, or to a degree it did, but it was also maybe just another bubble, like in the stock market, the housing market, and wherever the inflationary bubbles go. In a, in a way, it was, but the bubble the bubble was China. Mm-hmm. If you read, if you go back and read the prospectuses that the oil companies sent out to their shareholders in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, up until 2014, they say there's a great future market for our oil because China is going to continue to grow at 10% or something like that per year, and all their new middle-class people are going to buy cars, Mm -hmm. and so there'll be a huge increase in demand. And then in another 10 years or so, India is going to follow, and Brazil and Turkey and South Africa, and there will be no stop to the upward demand in oil. That's So in that sense, it was a bubble, a bubble of global growth driven by China, and that 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 is gone and so far as i could tell it, it's not about to turn around yeah well and we know from reading patrick coburn it's hit the governments in kurdistan and iraq really hard the baghdad and Erbil governments really hard i assume that's true for russia and iran as well all of these places mm-hmm. nigeria is in very bad trouble uh azerbaijan kazakhstan algeria all these countries they're not taking in the money they used to, so they can't pay off their public with public works, with subsidies, with handouts. And and as a result, people are becoming more restless. There are protests. There have been protests in Russia, in Azerbaijan, in Algeria, in Nigeria, and in Venezuela. The, the uh, Chavez government was thrown out of Congress. This is this is the kind of future we could expect in all these countries. A lot of upheaval, yeah. yeah Patrick Coburn was saying that the the Baghdad government's revenues have just been cut to half of what they owe in terms of just salaries for their civil servants. Yeah, and those people have started protesting. We don't read about it much, but there have been mass protests of civil servants in Iraq. Uh, we haven't been paid for three months, six months, and we're going to stop working. And how are they going to finance the military to fight the Islamic State mm-hmm. if, if they don't have any money? Right. And who are having their own problems? Maybe that's the one silver lining on this. Is, is <laughs> yes, even yes, even yes. when Obama lets them truck their oil to Turkey, they can't get much for it. All right, listen, I'm sorry. I've kept you over time here, Michael, but uh, I really do appreciate you coming back on the show. I love reading your stuff. Great. Good talking, talking with to you, Scott. Really yep. appreciate Bye. it. All right, y'all, that is the great Michael Clare. He's at TomDispatch.com and uh, today on Antiwar.com uh, with this one. Um, I forgot we changed the title to the – well, there's three or four titles on every Tom Dispatch article. Uh, we're calling it Energy Wars of Attrition today on Antiwar.com. And uh, I would also have you know that he is a professor of peace and world security studies at Hampshire College and the author of The Race for What's Left. Back in a sec. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. 
and I host two shows on Liberty.me. Eye on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. If we have to choose the lesser of evils here, the lesser evil is the Sunnis over the Shiites. It's an evil, believe me, it's a terrible evil. Again, they've just taken out 1,700 former Iraqi soldiers and shot them in a field. But who are they, who are they fighting against? They're fighting against, the, against the, a proxy with Iran that's complicit in the murder of 160,000 people in Syria. You can just you know, do the math. And again, one side is armed with suicide bombers and rockets. The other side has access to military nuclear capabilities. So from Israel's perspective, um, you know, if, someone's got to, if, if, if there's got to be an evil that's going to prevail, you know, let, let the, the Sunni evil prevail. And a secret analysis by the agency you ran, the Defense Intelligence Agency, in August 2012 said, and I quote, there is the possibility of establishing a That's declared so or undeclared <laughs> Salafist, it's not secret anymore, it was released under FOI. The quote is, there is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria, and this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syrian regime. The U.S. saw the ISIL caliphate coming and did nothing. Did you see this document in 2012? Was this come across your table? One of oh, your yeah, yeah, yeah. I paid very close attention okay. to all this. So when you sure saw did. this, did you not pick up a phone and say, what on earth are sure. we doing supporting I mean, that, these Syrian that, rebels? That kind of information are... is presented, and, and what did you those, do become, those become, I argued about it. Did you say we shouldn't be supporting these groups? I did. I mean, we argued about these, the different groups that were there, and we said, you know, who is it that is involved here? And I will tell you that uh, I, I do believe. All right, all right. We've heard that before. Uh, welcome back to the show, y'all. Sorry for the delay there. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And our next guest is Dr. Robert Epstein, and uh, he is the former editor of Psychology Today. He's senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology and is a contributing editor for the scientific American Mind. He's also the founder and director emeritus of the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies in Massachusetts, and, uh, well, he's got a bunch of books, uh, most of them, I think, about uh, adolescence, the case against adolescence. That's interesting. Uh, I bet Gatto would have been a fan. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, he's also the guy I've been telling you all week and all last week, I guess, about this article in Aeon.co, The New Mind Control. Welcome to the show, Robert. How are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing real good. Dr. Epstein, I should say. Uh, very good to have you here. And... Um, a very interesting article you've written here about how uh, the order of search engine results can manipulate basically anybody but me. Is that right? <laughs> well, actually, it would be uh, anyone including you. <laughs> no. <laughs> to be honest, yes. <laughs> okay, well, all right. I'll hear you out then. Go ahead. And, and including me, too. And it's very interesting because when my, when my staff will show me, for example, some search results, uh, that I know are, are biased in some way, very often I can't see that myself. Mm. I mean, so, so when you get your search results for anything you're searching on, you know, they may look fine, but uh, the fact is we tend to, to trust that the higher ones are better, right? And we tend to click mainly on the higher ones. In fact, 50% of our clicks go to the top two. So whatever those top ones are, we tend to click on those and we read, you know, whatever the web pages are. And that ends up being the basis 
for a lot of opinions that we form, including how we vote, which is kind of scary. Right. Well, and, and it's a good thing that you pick voting to focus on, at least for some of these experiments, to show the import of this and how powerful this could be if someone was uh, using it in an untoward way. And, uh, you know, you start out actually talking about Brave New World and this kind of thing, uh, where, you know, the science, where social psychology is basically all just a conspiracy by power against their subjects and controlling how we think, feel, and react about whatever the issue is. Yeah, there have been a lot of novels uh, written that had that theme where where governments use all kinds of uh, psychological techniques to get control of populations. Uh, and what basically what uh, I discovered in research I, I began with uh, Ronald Robertson is uh, that, uh, you know, this is happening today uh, just as, you know, you know, it's described in these these novels like Brave New World and uh, 1984. But in fact, it's happening on a on a larger scale uh, than anyone ever envisioned. And it's happening in more invisibly than anyone ever envisioned. And, and that no one ever really thought about before, the fact that you could manipulate, um, in this case, hundreds of millions of people around the world uh, in a way that uh, so that they don't even know they're being manipulated, number one, and number two, in a way that doesn't even leave a paper trail, no paper trail for authorities to find, uh, and yet you can have a dramatic impact on uh, what they believe and the decisions they make, and uh, you know, as as you pointed out, who they vote for in an election. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so we got to get into the mechanics of the experiment and and what all you learned here and how and all that kind of thing. But um, I want to get into what you just said there about the no accountability. You you compare Google's algorithm for deciding what to show you to the formula for Coca Cola, which I guess means it's out of the hands of even the courts. No one will ever know. And so the code is not even up for examination in any context. And if it was, it wouldn't say vote for Hillary right in there. It just very well may be that that's what they're, you know, pushing you towards. But you wouldn't be able to understand that just by looking at some symbols in the code, you know, right? That's right. So uh, so the code is completely off limits to everybody. That's right. That's one problem. And, of course, the other is presumably it's very complicated. And so we wouldn't even be able to spot what we were looking for necessarily. But, you know, that doesn't mean uh, at some point that, um, you know, that, that the courts or regulators or the FBI, uh, you know, doesn't uh, break the door down. They, they could break the door down at some point and they probably could figure out what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, this is very secretive stuff, uh, you know, controlled by a handful of corporate executives uh, who are not accountable to the general public. They're only accountable to their shareholders. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, now, so I'm sorry, we only have a couple of minutes left in this segment, oh, so we won't be okay. able to get uh, just in this segment. We're, we're going to come back after the break for another one. Um, but I, I sort of wanted to get just a little bit into the experiment itself here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did I not hear about this for the first time, say, about a year ago? And then do I understand you right that you kind of went back and redid the experiment a bunch of times? You learned a lot more things, and this is sort of the update of, boy, it's even worse than we thought, that kind of thing? Well, sure. Uh, after we did the first uh, experiment, I didn't believe it. 
because we shifted people's voting preferences by over 48 percent after just after just one online search. I thought we it would be two or three percent, and it was over 48 percent. So yeah, we repeated it, but uh, this has actually started getting into the news uh, three years ago. It's, it's oh, been okay. in the news. It's been in the news that long. Um, because the, once I realized that this, that this, how big this was, uh, you know, I did talk to colleagues and friends and then I, I got a call from the Washington Post. So th- there's, there's been a, tr- there've been more than a thousand news stories about this. Uh, and the piece uh, that you mentioned in Aeon magazine, uh, that's now gone uh, viral on Facebook. I think it's had, uh, 17,000 shares so far right. and, and the, and the numbers are increasing pretty fast. Yeah. Well, now, so the reason I started off the the interview, too, with this could work on everybody but me, right, is because uh, I think just like everybody else, I believe that what I believe is what I believe. And it's not subject to simple manipulations like putting this search result above that one. And, you know, basically, you're calling out my humanity. Am I a, a damn animal and nothing but? Or do I own my own mind here? And and what you're doing is you're making me feel uncomfortable with a little cognitive dissonance here about how easy it is to get me to change what I think without me even knowing that that's what you're doing to me. I think everybody probably feels the same way. And I think now I hear drums and guitars. So we got to take this break. We're going to be right back with Robert Epstein about these uh, social psychology experiments he's been doing on the uh, power of search engine results order. It's You heard him say 48%. Just wait till we get back. We're going to find out all about this. The new mind control at aon.co. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I told y'all before, I took social psychology in community college just to try to protect myself from this kind of thing. Find out how they do it so it won't work on me. But apparently, yeah, it does work on me. It works on everybody. All of it does. Um, my favorite is if you get people together, just strangers, and kind of gather them together, people from the neighborhood, and show them a propaganda video, whether it's an environmentalist Greenpeace thing or whether you're trying to get them to join the John Birch Society, whatever it is, your numbers will triple if you feed them jelly beans. That's my favorite. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, and there's a million of them, right? Uh, you, you introduce a, a third person into an equation, and people's entire idea about how things work uh, completely changes. But anyway, uh, like, for example, this conversation is different because I know all you guys are listening in. Who knows how different it would be if I knew that you weren't. But anyway, uh, so talking with uh, Dr. Robert Epstein, uh, this article is at Aon, A-E-O-N, Aon.co, the new mind control. And it's about simple search engine results. And so, um, at least in the original incarnation, you have, I believe it is, Americans. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Before we get into the experiment, I wanted to ask you about that part about our susceptibility to this. Because I was talking before about how much it bothers me, the idea that this could work on me. And I wonder whether you, uh, 
I guess we could say this. I'm sorry, I'm not very organized. But I wonder whether you try to control for that, whether people who have strong beliefs in something are just as easy to manipulate, or you know, does it matter whether you're asking about Australian elections or American ones and this kind of thing? Is there is there any armor against this kind of manipulation, I guess? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, that's something we've been looking at uh, more carefully uh, just recently. And the stronger someone's opinions are about something, uh, the harder it is to shift them. And that's, that's long been known. In fact, people who have strong opinions, they, they uh, suffer from what's called confirmation bias, which means they only pay attention to things that support their opinions. So uh, the, the, what we've uh, been studying, which is called SEAM, the Search Engine Manipulation Effect, S-E-M-E, uh, that uh, applies uh, best, it works best on people who are undecided. But it turns out in elections, uh, you know, th- those are the people who, who determine who, uh, who wins. They are the undecided voters, and that's where all the resources are, are poured, you know, toward the end, uh, you know, the last few days of an election. They're all focused on the undecided people. Right. The margin, and, and it's a yeah, hell of a big right. margin. That's what you show here. It's a margin in the tens right. and tens of percents even. That's right. And, and so we, we can have an enormous impact on people who are undecided, uh, um, perhaps about any issue at all. But uh, if they're undecided in, a, in an election, it turns out it's very easy to shift them uh, using search rankings. And you asked why this effect works so well. We've actually done uh, new, new research on that issue as well. It turns out that we are basically trained. We're being trained like rats in a Skinner box on a daily basis to believe that what's higher in the list is better. And that training works uh, be, this way. We, we, most of the searches that we conduct are basically uh, routine searches where we're just looking for simple facts, like what is the capital of, you know, uh, of Uganda. And, uh, and, and whenever we conduct a routine search, which is for most of our searches, the answer just pops up in the first position. So over and over and over again, we're being trained to believe that, you know, what's higher is better, what's higher is truer. And then when that day comes, when we look something up that we're really unsure about, really undecided about, then we take very seriously what's high in the list. It's that simple. Wow. Okay, so now paint a picture for the audience and explain how you did this experiment, because we all know that social science, no offense, isn't really science, but it sort of kind of is, and I know that you're really trying to control as best you can against confirmation bias that you mentioned previously, et cetera. You said you didn't even believe your own results the first time. They were so outrageous. But so explain to us how it is that you do this and how you're so sure. Well, sure. These are these are randomized, controlled, counterbalanced, double-blind experiments, and that's why it got published in, you know, the top science journal in the world, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. That means you randomly assign people to one group or another. That kind of evens them out. Uh, and uh, in one group, uh, you know, they see search rankings that favor one candidate, that make one candidate look better than the other. In the second group. Uh, they see search rankings that favor the other candidate. In a third group, which is a control group, they're seeing search rankings all mixed up, so they favor neither candidate. And, you know, we get some initial numbers by uh, giving people very brief information about candidates and then just saying, you know, asking them a bunch of questions like, which one do you trust, who would you vote for, that kind of thing. And in the beginning, you know, this, we're, pretty, we're pretty much even, uh, obviously, 
But then we give them up to 15 minutes to do an online search using our search engine that works just like Google uh, and using real web pages, real search results, and they can search us freely uh, for up to 15 minutes. And uh, some of them, again, are seeing biased rankings, though. And then we asked them all the questions again. And what we found, again, was this enormous shift in experiment after experiment after experiment uh, toward whichever candidate was, uh, you know, favored in, uh, in search rankings. And, and you're right. I did not believe the numbers at first. So, you know, we've repeated this thing over and over again in, you know, in laboratory and national online studies uh, in the U.S., even in India. And now we've actually expanded. So we've done, we've replicated this with people uh, in 38 countries uh, and, and connected with uh, three different elections. So we're, we're uh, very, very confident that this is a real effect. Mm-hmm. And then, as you say in here, um, in America, it's 85%. In most countries, 90% of online searches are conducted by Google. So this is, you know, basically, I guess, a textbook natural monopoly, basically, that they've created here. Because after all, there, I mean, you have to admit, if it's something specific that you're looking for, not just a general question, but even something specific, their algorithm is pretty damn good. Whether they're trying to manipulate you or not, it's usually right that the thing you're looking for is at least on the first page, uh, you know, depending on how obscure it is, um, that kind of thing. But so they've just, there's no need for Northern Lights to exist anymore, ask Jeeves or whatever these things. Everybody uses it, but that gives them such power. It's impossible to even compare it to anything else in terms of, I mean, I know they don't have an army, but neither did the Pope. But you know what I mean? This is really huge. Well, not only that, their influence is bigger than than we think it is because uh, it's so expensive to do what they do. I mean, they're, they're literally, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're logging right now 47 billion uh, web pages. Uh, it's so expensive to do that that more and more of these smaller search engine companies are actually drawing their results from Google. Uh, the latest deal, as I as I uh, as I document uh, in my new article in Aon, uh, is between Yahoo and Google. So Yahoo is now drawing search results from Google, which is actually good because then that means Yahoo's results are now much better <laughs> than they used to be. But uh, it, it further extends the monopoly, and that, that, of course, is very, very dangerous because, uh, you know, in other kinds of media like newspapers and TV, you know, we're getting all kinds of different opinions, uh, you know, blasted at us all the time. But search engines, no, we're, we're mainly just seeing one because it's so good. And, it, and there really isn't much in the way of competition. And we believe that what they're showing us is objective. You see, that's a big problem. Yeah. So the trust level is extremely high, and that's why they can shift uh, so easily people who are undecided. All right. Now, so what's their reaction been to all of your work? I mean, they must have put out a statement saying trust us or something, huh? Well, they, they normally do not. But in this case, uh, the head of Google search actually published a big article uh, on Politico, uh, which you can find easily online. And I encourage people to read that. Uh, it, it was a, supposed to be a criticism of my research, but I, I really, really think people should read it because it's really, in a way, very scary because it doesn't actually criticize my research at all. It really... Uh, just says, hey, we're Google. We would never do anything like that, and we're cool and we're awesome. And that's and it says it over and over again without actually looking 
at our work. Mm-hmm. So I published a piece, that, which you can also find, it's, it's, it's called Google's Hypocrisy, uh, in which I, you know, I talk about, you know, their official response. But basically, so far, they're just trying to, to brush all this aside, and that's, that's not smart because, again, this is rock-solid uh, mm-hmm. research, and a lot of people around the world are taking it very seriously. Yeah, I guess, um, but so, so far there's no real organized pressure group trying to force them to expand transparency in any way or, or at least promise that, geez, when it comes to politics, we'll randomize the top five for you or anything right. like that at all? No? Well, well, there is in Europe and there is in India. Uh, there are big antitrust actions uh, that are ongoing against Google and they're, they're really at risk for paying tens of billion dollars and billions of dollars in fines. Hmm. In the U.S., the FCC confirmed really what what our research is about. They confirmed that, that Google does routinely show us biased search rankings. But in this country, we you know they've bought off the government. They bought off the Obama administration. That's easy to document. And uh, and so you know in this country, we backed all the authorities have backed off from Google, letting them do what they want. But in Europe, they're in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess all the executive regulation protects them from civil litigation, too. Because, hey, Your Honor, the regulators said it was cool, so these guys have nothing on us, right? Well, they're smart people, and they protect themselves uh, pretty well. But, uh, you know, I think at the moment, we, we really have to think twice about what's happening, because we've calculated that in uh, November, uh, they'll be able to shift between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes. Uh, to Hillary Clinton without anyone knowing that they're doing this and without leaving a paper trail. That's pretty serious. Say that again. How many million? Between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes without anyone knowing they're doing it and without leaving a paper trail. All right, you guys, that is Robert Epstein. The article is at aeon.co, A-E-O-N.co. And it's called The New Mind Control, How the Internet Flips Elections and Alters Our Thoughts. And it's just going to blow your mind. It's so good. And uh, then also check out his own website, drrobertepstein.com. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. All right, y'all, that's it. We'll see you all tomorrow.